Blog Talk Radio. Wealth is a game. That's right. Wealth is a 
their game. Or we should correctly paraphrase it, maybe wealth is their game. We're going to talk about some issues as it relates to this concept of wealth and wealth stealing and how it has been used and continues to be used as a tool to undermine the overall development of humanity. As Brother Peter Tosh once stated, everyone is talking about crime, but who are talking about who are the real criminals? So that will be our topic for tonight, and we'll do something a little differently from norm, from normal programs. We'll start out discussing that thing, then followed by a tribute to some freedom fighters and warriors, and then we will go into what's going on in our world and community. So that is the order of the event for tonight. Like always, we welcome you to call in at 323-679-0841 to share your views and your perspectives. If you do so, please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So Africa on the Mood, the way we get started with our party, is to first and foremost introduce to you our political analyst for the day and panelists. So we'll start off right now with Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move, Brother Anthony. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party's G3. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Father and brother, thank you, Brother Anthony. Father and Brother Anthony, next we have with us, Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. And I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I called Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. And now also we'll bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kamasi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness, and my struggle is all about institution buildings. You know, uh, recently I read an article, and it's a very interesting article, but anyway, it raises the question fundamentally, you know, which way forward? And institutions are so important in the community because the question in terms of which way forward is the determine, you know, what kind of strategy you utilize in terms of self-empowerment. Uh, one, a couple of strategies that historically have been used in terms of struggle has been the question around identity politics. In other words, we talk about, you know, politics pertaining to Africans, women, gays, working class, and so forth, and I hope that we can unite these groups. But what it doesn't do is take into consideration necessarily the question of class. Also, radical opposition uh, is a second uh, strategy we always use. That might entail something like, for instance, what they're doing in France with the yellow vest, or electing radical politicians. Of course, one of the problems in terms of electing radical politicians, they're first and foremost, you have to identify who they are. 
Uh, but anyway, but this is important in terms of institutions because one of the things that when we talk about the ruling elite in society, and we talk about desire in terms of uh, white male privilege, it's a guiding factor in terms of in, in everything that they do. And so, therefore, they're very committed to the status quo. In fact, in order to maintain that status quo, they're willing to change the rules of the game. So the constitutional rules no longer apply. Uh, they're stacking the courts with conservatives. Uh, they're creating a situation where spying on journalists is, 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 is justified, uh, even to the extent where humanity is so devalued that they engage, they engage children at the border between the U.S. and Mexico. So clearly we've got all these problems, and so we have to decide in terms of how we're going to, how we're going to proceed. Institutions will have clarified in terms of exactly how we're going to proceed and why we have to proceed. So I think institutions are extremely important, and I advise people you know, to get started in terms of building institutions because they're very pivotal in terms of our, our long-term aspirations in the society. Thank you, Brother Haki. Now, let's get started with this first segment of the program. As we can discuss, under this thing, stealing wealth is our game, part two. That was a recent article published on the 24th of February, 2019, from Truth Out, titled, Trump's Thread a Sucker Ibago of Cuba. And when we say Ibago, I would prefer to use really the word blockade, and we'll talk about that a little later. But let me just start off with those listeners who may not have had a chance to see this article. I will give a give a backdrop. And panelists, I'd like to have y'all analysis on uh, what y'all took from this article. It started off a dissection of human rights and global wrongs. The Trump administration has threatened to unleash a flood of lawsuits involving Cuba, which no U.S. president has ever done. It has set a deadline on March the second to announce whether it will create in the words of the National Lawyer Guild, a sucker embargo of Cuba, one that will be very difficult to dismantle in the future. Trump may give current U.S. citizens standing to see in U.S. courts, to sue in U.S. courts, even if they were Cuban citizens when the Cuban government nationalized their property after the 1959 revolution. They will be able to bring lawsuits against U.S. and foreign companies that allegedly profit from the nationalized property. So as we talk about this whole question of stealing wealth, is that gain? This is what they do. How do you equate that thing with this particular article, um, Brother Anthony? Well, what's, well, what this article is describing is an intensification of the blockade against Cuba. And what it is, it implements a section of, uh, of the embargo against Cuba that allows uh, p- persons that, uh, uh, U.S. citizens that were citizens of Cuba at the time of the revolution, when they nationalized these properties to sue uh, the Cuban government. Or, or to sue entities rather that allegedly profit, uh, you know, from from the national nationalized uh, 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 properties in Cuba. Now, uh, now, what what it, what people don't know is the fact that 
that in accordance with international law, Cuba had reached a settlement with most uh, countries in which the, uh, the, 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 the properties were nationalized, except for the U.S. Uh, the U.S. had basically been blocking that. And uh, the cause of the blockade against the Cuban people runs into, in, into the tens of billions of dollars over the, uh, uh, nearly 60 years of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Cuba's, uh, you know, liberation. And uh, this, uh, this is going to hurt, uh, it's going to make it more difficult for Cubans to engage in trade with other countries around the world because most uh, capitalist cor- uh, corporations do some business with the U.S. And uh, these uh, former, uh, you know, Cuban nationals will be able to bring lawsuits against those particular uh, entities. And uh, this could, uh, and anyone who has been through a legal proceeding knows that, uh, that, that this could be a very long process. So what it could have uh, the, the damage of doing is uh, further hurting the Cuban people and also uh, tying up, uh, you, know, uh, you know, cases in litigation for, for, for years and uh, make it more difficult for Cubans to engage in trade. Because, unfortunately, uh, the imperialists dominate uh, uh, the trade in the world. And uh, so uh, so it would make it harder for Cuba to transact business and, therefore, uh, to take care of uh, the needs of its population. And this is a form of stealing resources and wealth from the Cuban people. Yeah, and Angie, last point, uh, Anthony and Brother Haki, I'd like for you to come in on this on this statement. Um, it talks about where by applying this, this new Title Title Three under the Ham Burdens Law, one of the things that seeks to do is what they're trying to do to do to Venezuela today. It seeks to uh, have a greater inroads and in denying money and supplies to Cuba to create monetary and real wages to bring about hunger desperation and the overthrow of the government. This is the same tactic of what they're trying to do now to Venezuela and to many countries. Now, when you talk about national resources and they are arguing about that they should be compensated, what how do you hold that philosophy as a legitimacy one if you want to apply that when at the same time you don't apply the concept of people being compensated for reparations or people being compensated for the, the, the stealing, the deception, the, the thievery, the stolen properties that you have taken. When I say you, I'm talking about the West, led by the U.S., all over the world. Where is the law and order when it comes to stolen property, outright exploitation and theft, when it comes to the role that this country has played throughout history? But like, how do you justify one versus not dealing with the other? Nationalization <laughs> versus stealing property, taking lies, thievery. Your response to that, yeah, brother? Well, yeah, well, there is some justification for the uh, hypocrisy when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. What we got to keep in mind when we talk about U.S. US foreign policy, essentially we got to talk about it's just how precarious the system is, and so therefore the desperation. 
you know, recently uh, Trump talked about the fact that he's going to now, uh, he's going to, uh, ins- he wants to make countries around the world who have uh, U.S. military bases on their countries, he will make them pay the, pay the cost to keep the military bases in line. Of course, that won't set well with European nations in terms of this, this surcharge that Trump is talking about. Uh, it's likely to lead to more um, dissolution of that relationship that historically exists between Europe and the United States. But it speaks to the kind of desperation that the U.S. is confronted with. So when it comes to Cuba, in terms of this whole question, in terms of nas- you know, uh, this whole question, in terms of nationalized properties and actually allowing people to sue, and in uh, courts, it's absurd because number one, not only is it under international law illegal, it simply can't work. Because when you look at the kind of investments that the Europeans have in in, in Cuba, it's simply not workable. Because one of the things is that Cuba, I mean, you, the Europe is under a great deal of pressure in terms of ensuring that the people get what they need because the economy is in shambles. And they can ill afford the situation where they can't have investments around the world. And so European nations are finally beginning to fight back this U.S. and saying, listen, we have a population that we have to uphold, we have to feed, we have to educate, we have to house. We can't play, afford these kind of politics, these imperialistic politics, because they're getting away in terms of, you know, uh, the future development of our societies. And so, therefore, European nations are beginning to fight back. But having said that, Brother Africa, one thing I think is important to understand is that when I talk about the absurdity of this policy, keep in mind, that uh, the, the Secretary of State Pompeo recently decided that he's not going to extend this law because he understands that it's absurd. He gave the six-month moratorium in which they're going to study the, the law some more to determine impacts if they implement this, this such a law. So clearly, even the State Department recognizes the absurdity in terms of, you know, of not only violating international law, but actually, you know, attempting you know, to, to, to jam the courts with, with frivolous lawsuits like, you know, uh, being in the, but actually saying to the world, that the U.S. is in a position to actually dictate, you know, what you can do inside your country, what you can't do inside your country. So it's absurd on its face. You know, Brother Moses and other panelists can weigh in on this. When you read this particular policy and look at this particular tactic, uh, one was come, one would come to the uh, conclusion that this is a colonial, a neo-colonial, right? It's a colonial, a colonialist attitude. The U.S. is still being Cuba as it, as if it's one of their colony. How do you take a U.S. court that can make decisions for another country? Your response to that, Brother Moses, it is not a colonial uh, philosophy perspective. They are looking at Cuba as one of their colony. Yes, it, it goes down to the, the question of sovereignty for a country. A country has a right to self-determination and independence um, in its, its foreign policy and domestic policy. And uh, Cuba, you know, has chosen to support the working class people and to divert its resources to uh, to to um, helping the working class people with education, health care, et cetera. And... Uh, the U.S., you know, of course, is, is only interested in the corporate, corporate America and the profit-driven system here, and uh, they don't want the, uh, the 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 economy of Cuba to to be uh, socialized. And so, it's no mystery. Uh, uh, the reactionaries that never give up. They they find different ways. Once they defeat it on one front, they should find other ways of 
of uh, carrying out their interests. And this is certainly a attempt to recolonize Cuba in the sense of uh, taking back resources that the Cubans have already uh, declared for themselves. And, and you know, uh, Trump, you know, is, is an anti-socialist, and uh, and he's doing everything he can to to uh, to stop any socialist movement, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, anywhere in the world. And so, you know, this is this is to be understood uh, that his this is his motivation. And so we just we just have to see that they're trying to steal. Steal the wealth uh, of the, of the countries uh, like Cuba and Venezuela and Nicaragua, and uh, and divert it to the interests of corporate America. And we people should stand against this. The courts, the courts, you know, in the U.S., you know, has, shouldn't have any jurisdiction over the situation in Cuba. And but uh, but of course. The imperialist power with his guns and his might might, you know, are able to uh, hoodwink the, the world's populations and the, the other capitalist governments in Europe into uh, supporting them, and and uh, we have to oppose it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Rose, for your response, and Brother Anthony. Who yes. The US um, court? Who who anointed the U.S. court? To be the international court, they have a so-called body, legal body, dealing with international court. And even today, they are on record saying they will not acknowledge any decision that this so-called body make as relates to the U.S. But on the other hand, they will become the international court. So who anointed them to be some international world court where people are supposed to bow down to the courts inside the U.S.? Your response, brother Abner. Yes. Well, there there are politicians in the U.S. that still believe in the Monroe doctrine and uh, and uh, and they have the right to uh you know to impose US policy on other countries of the world and uh it reflects a lack of respect for Cuba's sovereignty and and, and independence and uh this and this uh, uh and and this is highly hypocritical because uh because uh you know US uh, the U.S. would be, 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 be highly upset if someone tried to, you know, uh, you know, do that, do, do that to them if it was reversed. So this reflects the hypocrisy of the U.S. government, which is at the service of imperialism, and this reflects that. And uh, want to share something here with the uh, audience. It says on the second page, it says that. Any sovereign national has the right to expropriate property, whether owned by foreigners or nationals. In the United States, we refer to this as the power of eminent domain. However, the owner should receive adequate and prompt compensation for its property. On several occasions, Cuba has offered to negotiate compensation to nearly 6,000 claims of U.S. parties, as has successfully done with claims from other countries. It is well known that all nationalizations of foreign property, including that of the U.S., were provided by law with a commitment to compensation, which the U.S. government refused even to discuss 
while it was adopted by the governments of claimants of other countries, all of which enjoyed due compensation. And this is from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for Cuba. And uh, so, uh, so actually, uh, the U.S. is being uh, hypocritical in its actions, and uh, and it's a, and it's an attempt to uh, you know to steal the, the 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 resources and labor of the Cuban people. Brother Haki, when one reads this article, you only can come to one conclusion, and the conclusion is the U.S. US is acting if it. It's a rogue state. Your response to that? <laughs> Acting as though it's a rogue state. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think by this point, I think by this point in history, I think most people have already figured that one out. I think even the most diehard uh, conservative would acknowledge that, in fact, that uh, a lot of these criminal activities taking place are just that criminal. Uh, of course, they're trying to give it some veneer respectability by simply saying, you know, that because they have the power, so they have the right to, uh, you know, exact their will. Uh, but clearly, I think even I think most people understand clearly that you know this is in fact is a rogue nation. And when you talk about disregard for international nation international law, no country violates international law more than the United States. To the extent that when you talk when you talk to people around the world in terms of their perception of the United States, clearly it's not a very, very positive appraisal in terms of the United States. Uh, people have an intimate understanding in terms of the kind of violation of international law the United States routinely uh, does. And so, therefore, when you talk about a rogue state, you know, it's synonymous with the United States. And so I don't think anybody is surprised that uh, this kind of uh, behavior uh, it, it goes hand-in-hand in terms of a society that's, in fact, in deterioration. So we talk about this ever-growing fascism in society. It's, it's, given, it's a given, given the fact that when you talk about uh, the decline, uh, this kind of outrageousness is, 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 is assured. Unbelievable, and they're doing this all in the name of the people, huh? That's what they say. That's what they say. We have Brother Zabari. Brother Zabari, when you read this particular article dealing with uh, the Trump administration, wants to um, apply Title III and the Hamburg Law to to allow individual citizens to be able to file claims against the Cuban government. What did you take from that article, brother? Anytime you hear of this type of scenario occurring, that's pretext to trying to find grounds for starting a conflict because oftentimes that's where it starts. There'll be something more cerebral, a more cerebral tactic initiated. Then eventually there'll be something escalated to the point where there's more of a physical conflict happening. So we have to understand that this is a tactic. It's not unusual. It's going to create a situation to destabilize, confuse, and disrupt um, the operations of what the people have in store. So anytime you have this situation, it's easy to do something that will catch them off guard versus when they're fully prepared. So you have to understand that when maneuvers like this are put in place, is done tactically to make sure that the person you're going against is not at their best so that you can try to um, accomplish whatever your aims are against whomever the enemy is deemed. Okay, President Barbara, job well done. To our listening audience, you listen to Africa on the Move. Uh, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the cause. When we come back, we will continue the discussion 
and the thing stealing weapons are gained. And we're going to talk about U.S. military pours tens of gold from Syria. They put tons of gold from Syria. You won't believe the kind of um, gold they have taken out of Syria, and you won't believe how they've done it. So we're going to discuss that in context again. Stealing wealth is their game. And again, we'd like for you to join us. Feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Move. We're going to pause for the calls, and we'll be right back. Stolen from Africa, brought to the Americas. 
fights upon our arrival, and we are still fighting for our survival. Panelists, they have taken so many Africans from around the world and brought them here. They have slaughtered all the indigenous people, and they continue to commit atrocities all over the world. What compensation will the people who have been affected by those policies receive, panelists? As we talk about this whole question of stealing wealth is their game. So we'd like to welcome everybody back to Africa on the Move. Um, before we move on, are there any final thoughts uh, any panelists like to make on this article before we go into this next article, which is very revealing in many ways and synthesizes this whole reality of this issue of stealing wealth is their game. So panelists, any final thoughts on the first article before we move forward? Yeah, let me just let me just weigh in real quickly, Brother Africa, because you know one of the things that you know it always amazes me is that often you hear people say in America they say Capital- socialism doesn't work. Well, if socialism doesn't work, then what might account for these constant uh, um, uh, constant invasion, you know, of these countries that are, that are attempting to practice socialism? What is it about their attempt to bring about socialism that's so threatening to the United States? Well, could it be? that once people get an understanding of what socialism really is and how to benefit their lives, that they may gravitate toward that so it becomes an inherent threat to the, to the establishment of the United States? Or is it because socialism creates a way of living, a, existing, a, a, a kind of relationship between human beings that is, that is, that is much more, um, more gratuitous, uh, much more uh, helpful, health, healthy, much more, uh, uh, much more um, compassionate, could it be that those kind of values are inconsistent in terms of what capitalism stands for, and so therefore it becomes an implicit threat in terms of you know is 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 very existence? It's very it's very interesting that people talk about socialism would never work, but then they keep on acting as though socialism is the most horrifying, the most terrifying uh, uh, social system known to human beings. It's very very it's ironic. But specifically, brother Africa, when you look at America, you look at the kind of socialism that exists in America. When we talk about socialism, you know, uh, for the wealthy folks, no one ever talks about that. We don't talk about, you know, building roads, uh, you know, uh, building schools, you know, with taxpayers' money. So to benefit a wealthy people who then use those, 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 those attributes to, em- to enrich themselves. No one talks about socialism in terms of transferring wealth fundamentally from the poorest sectors of society to the wealthiest people, which is socialism. But nobody ever talks about that. Socialism only becomes a problem when poor people, working class people, benefit from it. Then it becomes a problem. So I think at some point, uh, and I think it's happening in America, people increasingly are beginning to look at socialism, understand that socialism is not the inherent threat that they've been led to believe, you know, through the ages. So I think that uh, the U.S. recognizes that people understand that reality, and so therefore it makes them, makes them panic. And so therefore all the stuff that you see in terms of the attack against whether it be Venezuela, whether it's Cuba or Nicaragua or what have you, is, 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 is cognizant of the reality that, uh, you know, that the U.S. does understand that socialism is the future. So I think uh, I think it's ironic, you know, that uh, you know that this, this argument that they continue to use is so fallacious, is so fallacious, uh, you know, uh, that um, you know um, that the, even in, in 21st century they continue to use it. Your point is well made, but sometimes I often wonder, panelists, in terms of um, the people who live under capitalist societies, and when they try to argue that capitalism is the best system that man can perfect. I wonder sometimes are they on that stuff they call pot or on that stuff they call crack? Because given no, the uh, damages that, that it's causing around the world, 
I wonder if we are really just drug up and we really don't can't see realities for them to allow people to make such assertions of, of, of just being the best thing that man can produce. Brother Jabari, yes, go ahead. No, I, I want to add something, uh, Brother Africa, uh, uh, to, to the points that, that, that Haki made. And I would add that uh, the type that since its revolution, the type of natural disasters that the Cubans had to endure would have torn apart most uh, m- most capitalist societies. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the hurricanes that have hit Cuba over the years, and even this blockade illustrates the superiority of socialism in which resources are used for the benefit of the people as a whole as opposed to a dog-eat-dog system like capitalism where it's in every individual for itself. And uh, and Cuba, even though it's a very poor country, is able to offer help and assistance to other countries and uh, other struggling countries in the world. So I think that speaks to the superiority of socialism over capitalism as far as uh, benefiting people as a whole. And the reason why, uh, you know, that is so so difficult to build socialism in Cuba or anywhere else in the Western Hemisphere is because of the relentless attacks of U.S. imperialism against these countries. But you know what, Brother Africa, one final thing, even even more fundamental, if you stop and think about it on the most basic level, you know, we talk about the aggressiveness of, of human beings in terms of ability to, in terms of, you know, getting getting along together if, in fact, you create the proper institutions to make that possible. But aside that, you know, one of the things is that, you know, um, when, when you look at it in terms of resources, the resources come from the earth. Now, the resources of the earth belong to the people of the earth. It doesn't say those resources, no one should, no one should say that the resources of the earth belongs onto a certain segment of society. That it belongs to all the people who are part of earth. So these resources belong to everybody. So for these people, these capitalists, to simply take these resources of the earth and use them to benefit a handful of people. To me, it seems to me that, it seems to me that fundamental understanding alone should, should enrage people, because that's just crazy. How is that you can take these resources from the earth and you live a good life and as though somehow I'm not part of the earth? And these resources, I should have no benefit in terms of these resources. Now, often they'll say, well, we are, that's true. The resources come from the earth, but we refine the resources. Well, even if you refine the resources, you can refine nothing, so you need resources to refine first and foremost. So we can say without the resources, there's nothing to refine. And so, therefore, those resources belong to the, to the people on the planet, not to any particular strata of society. So it, it, it amazes me that they can, they, in the 21st century, they can still tell people capitalism is the greatest system in the world and people actually swallow that. I think, I think it's extraordinary. I think maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, the, you know they drank the Kool-Aid. You know, it's, it's very interesting. No, actually, I would add, too, that uh, remember an observation that Malcolm X made many years ago, that, uh, that, that, cap- uh, that capitalism is such a vicious system, it can have you loving your enemies and hating your friends. Any system that that's vicious can, ha- uh, can, can, can make you do anything. And uh, so, we, so we're in, in a vicious system. And Kwame Trey pointed out that capitalism warps people's thinking. So that's why we have to struggle against this system. And he 
made it the point also what it does is it make this everything it make the saying insane and insane saying it revert everything the opposite. <clears throat> Just like it make the truth a lie and a lie the truth. And, and and they are able to say it so many times that people fall for the okie doke. But anyway, panelists, if you ever wanna see um this issue of how stealing wealth is a part of their game Let's take a look at this article that was written from the source of the prison, Latino. Um, from Latino. Yes, on, fr- on Friday, March 1st, 2017. This will be a short article, but it's something that seems like it should have been in the media, major media, and something that people need to look at. But for whatever reasons, you know, major media don't cover real serious news. But check this out, and I'll just read a little bit of it. And just give me your critique in terms of some of the serious contradictions of how this go against the whole American narrative, all the things you say that makes up America. The title is U.S. Military Pours Tons of Gold from Syria. Damascus, March 1st, U.S. Military took at least 50 tons of gold stolen by terrorists from Syria in exchange for ensuring the security of terrorists, according to local media. Santa, the national agency data indicate that, in this case, I involved members of the Islamic State, which was surrounded in Gaza, in the cast of the northern province of Dal Iza. According to reports, the screamers delivered 40 tons and another 10 tons were founded by U.S. troops in areas close to the town, where Kurdish group allied to Washington was also fighting. U.S. helicopters have been evacuating terrorist groups. Why are they evacuating terrorist groups? This will begin service. But anyway, since mid-2018, especially the main leaders, and now they are intensifying it when U.S. President Donald Trump announces the total defeat, okay, of the dash in Syria. Panelists, this particular idea um, raises all kinds of issues and contradictions against the American narrative of what they do, who they are, and it supports just the outright of looting and stealing again for another country. Um, what, y'all, what do y'all make of this article? Start with you on this one, Brother Hackey. Well, you know, you know, uh, a thief is a thief. Uh, this country has a long history in terms of theft, so this is nothing new. But I think what reason why you, you pose the question in terms of why the media didn't pick this this, this up, uh, the story up. Well, the major media is not going to pick the story up simply because it reveals too much. Number one, when we talk about the origin of of, of ISIS, and we understand that this origin of ISIS goes right back to the Mujahideen, in which the CIA financed and, and, and equipped. So, therefore, when we talk about this relationship between Paris and the United States, it's well established. And if we go back to something like uh, 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 um, Hashad al and when he talked about when, he, when, the, when the, the Iraqi forces brought down a, a military, U.S. military plane and all those weapons in there was, 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 was destined to head for, you know, for, the, for ISIS, uh, the major media didn't talk about that as well. So this relationship between media and uh, the relationship between the U.S. government in terms of terrorism is very, very well established. Also, when you talk about, you know, the 50 billion, 50 billion, 
50, uh, 50 tons of gold that was stolen by the U.S. Keep in mind that, 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 that the, the President of the United States, the orange individual, Agent Orange, he's the one who established the precedent in terms of how the government runs. He prides himself a businessman. So in his mind, you know, uh, if you give a service, then you have to pay for it. Well, the U.S. expended billions of dollars in terms of propping up these, 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 these terrorists around the world. And so, therefore, for them, it's a simple question in terms of how to recoup, recoup my loss. And so what they did, they said, okay, well, we invested all this money in terms of you, in terms of trying to overthrow the Syrian government. We failed. Well, we want to be compensated on some level. So we're going to take this 40 tons plus the 10 that they found in that area, you know, and we'll keep it. Uh, because this is just, uh, just, 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 uh, just in terms of your recompense, you know, it's just the way the, way, the, way the story goes. And so, therefore, there's nothing that you can do in terms of uh, uh, raising the question of legality because we paid lots of money for you. We equipped you. Uh, we provided uh, uh, security for you. We did all these things for you, and it takes manpower. It takes man hours. It takes money. And so, therefore, we've taken the simplest as 50 tons of gold, you know, as, you know, somewhat uh, recoup our losses. And so, therefore, you can understand that. And I think essentially that's what they're saying. And so I don't think they have, the, 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 the military or the U.S. government has a problem in terms of looting that, that goal because one of the things you got to keep in mind, when we talk about the decline of the economy, we talk about this whole dollar regime is on its way out. And so, therefore, the need in terms of gold becomes extremely important because ultimately in terms of a new paradigm that's going that's on its way, that gold is going to be a significant part in terms of underlining you know, economies. It's no longer going to be fiat currency based upon nothing. It's going to be the currency based upon gold. So gold from the currency is value. And so gold becomes extremely important. So therefore, then we understand why they took the gold, because it's extremely important to them. They're in a fight with Russia and China to amass as much gold as they possibly can. And so I can see them doing that. So for me, it makes perfect sense that they stole the gold. Brother Anthony, take out this article. Now, one of the things... One may argue, if you look real closer to the article, Brother Hockey, they raised the issue that they didn't actually steal it. They said the terrorists stole it, and they gave it to them for that protection and for that security. Um, I asked the question, why are they collaborating and working with the terrorists? Yeah, but but but, but, but Brother Africa, yes, that's what, the, that's what it says pervadum. Yes, you're absolutely correct. But the, but the problem is that even if the quote-unquote terrorists stole the gold and they handed it over to the United States, then there's some kind of causal relationship, some there's some causal relationship that exists between the U.S. and those terrorists. Otherwise, what incentive would the quote-unquote terrorists have to give their gold to the United States other than say that, well, listen, fair is fair. You assisted us, and there's a quid pro quo, so therefore I give you back, I give you the 50 tons of gold because it's only fair. So that's the only point that I'm making. Actually, I would add that uh, that, that, that this shows collusion uh, with uh, with the so-called terrorist groups, which the U.S. official policy says it doesn't do, and uh, it's interesting that this that this item was reported by Prince Latina, which is a Cuban news agency. So, uh, so the, the imperialist press didn't co- didn't cover it at all, and I think it will it will raise a lot of questions if it did cover it. Which is why you know, which is why you won't find anything about it in the U.S. media, because uh, it will raise a lot of questions about, uh, you know, uh, you, you know what 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 are U.S. troops really fighting for? 
and uh, and it would get in, and it would be uh, and it would be too much, you know, for the U.S. government to try to you know uh, handle. So I think that's why it uh, you know this does not appear in any of the U.S. media outlets at all. Brother Zibari, what's your analysis from this article? You got to understand, um, Western supremacy has the mentality that they're going to take what they want without giving any thought to the possible consequences that they find that, that desirable. Given the immense value of gold, it's not surprising that they engage in um, completing something like this because its value is it's immense. Because you got to understand, because Western society often can't produce or really don't know how to harness national resources, it's not unusual for them to go around the world to take um, them and somehow figure out a way to commodify them. So this is just politics as usual. And Brother Moses, your take from this article. Well, you know, the U.S., you know, as Brother Haki was explaining, you know, it's you know, supported these terrorist groups sort of in their origins and uh, had always had a relationship with them through the CIA and other covert activities. And um, so when, when, uh, when, just like now with the uh, IS, IS uh, uh, coming out of Syria now, they're giving them uh, free trans, transport out of uh the areas, their families, et cetera, they're allowing them to leave the combat zones. And, uh, you know, this this is because they've always had this this relationship with these groups. And uh, even though, you know, even though, you know, they've come to oppose the U.S., uh, they originally, you know, the U.S. supported them for one reason or another because they had a common enemy, so to speak. And uh, you know, so this this looting of the treasury, uh, uh, that's just standard operating procedure. The U.S. is trying to get as, as much of the resources of these countries as they can. And if they can get, if they can get gold, they will take the gold, and uh, uh, that's that's understood. Uh, I I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You know, thank you, Terry. Panelists, you alluded to the U.S. collaboration with the terrorists. The last paragraph we were interested with it stated that the U.S. Uh, helicopters have been evacuating terrorist groups since mid-2018, especially the main leaders. And then they are intensifying it when U.S. President Donald Trump announces the total defeat. Now, also, when you look, look look at Western media, they tell you about these terrorist leaders. They don't know where they're at. They're trying to get them. And here we see where there's an outright collusion working in, cor- in cooperation with them. How long do you think they can continue to tell these kind of um, lies and the world continue to um, believe it, panelists? How can this truth be, get, be, be, be gotten to the masses? So folks can realize the real deal is all of this is a game. Because when we talk about citizen gold, and we talk about the government, what do we mean by the government? Do you think the government can get the gold, or will this gold end up in the hand of a few wealthy people? And who would these people may be? 
I think it will end up in the hands of a few wealthy people uh, for the most part. And I think the way we counter, uh, you know, this disinformation or lack of information is through disseminating the truth. And that's one of the reasons why it's important that our people get organized. Because, you know, because if we organize, then we can create the mechanisms necessary for getting the truth out. But as long as we're disorganized and scattered and uh, think, uh, you know, that that only what happens on our local areas is so unique, then we're going to continue to be misled. And uh, we're going to have to – and it's important to organize – so that we can create an educational mechanism to counter uh, the, uh, the the imperialist-controlled media. Well, you know, my my position is, uh, Brother Anthony, I'm, I'm a bit more pessimistic than you are. Uh, and, you know, and the reason being, as one of the things we talk about the dissemination of propaganda by the U.S. government, we just be very clear on something. There are a lot of people who uh, who um, want to believe that. They know that they may know the reality, but it's in their interest not to know the reality, and so therefore they they accept acceptance as the truth simply because it's in their interest to accept the truth. And I think you got lots of people out there in, in, in that fall in that category who knows knows lies, but but but, but they accept it simply because it's in their interest to accept a lie. And so therefore, uh, so as long as they serve that self interest, then we can't really expect them, you know, to 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 acknowledge what is real, what is truthful. So I think that is that is a problem. I think in, in to, to the extent that we can bring about in a, in, a, in a real change in terms of uh, combating, you know, uh, propaganda. I agree that we need institutions, uh, and, and institutions operate, you know, three, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, in terms of constant pumping out information to our folks. That calls for mass organization. We're not there yet. Um, we, we, we're getting there, but we're not there yet. But uh, anything short of, you know, mass organization in terms of, you know, fighting this propaganda machine is not going to happen because, as I said before, as long as you got people out here who's in the interest not to know, they don't. They're not going to know. I mean, it's that simple. They don't want to know. And then, no matter what you say to them, they don't want to know. And so, if that's the reality, then nothing you say is going to dissuade them from, you know, uh, believing something that's essentially not true. So um, that's just the reality of it all. So you know, I'm, I'm a bit more pessimistic. So until we create those mass institutions in the community, the propagandized community consistently. And I don't think we have a chance in terms of overall, in terms of being able, you know, to uh, defeat this propaganda and get people to actually think about what's going on and understand the implications for their very lives. So I'm a bit pessimistic. You know, panelists, there is on record now. All the economists come to recognize that even with this concept of fighting wars today, it doesn't have the same impact nor the same emphasis that it had on maybe a country 30, 40, 50 years ago. Even with these so-called creative walls, the wealth of these walls do not go into the country economy. It go to individuals. So why in the hell are people still fighting walls? Why don't uh. people ask the question, what is the advantage for you going to fight a wall even if, you, even if you're going to do it, and you will have no basic benefit from it, other than being ripped off again and ripping out other people's resources. 
can you all continue to justify it when there's no direct relationship to that well-being? Where's their dog in this fight, as people would say? Yes, Brother Anthony. Yes, I would add that uh, that part of the uh, a major part of the problem is that uh, is in particular in the capitalist countries, uh, especially Africans are disorganized, and uh, and actually and they don't belong to organizations that are guided by a revolutionary ideology because what uh, the problem is not only having information. But knowing how to analyze it from a perspective of your interests, and that is the interests of the collective, and that and that is where ideology or how you think comes into play. And um, you know, and we said earlier that capitalism screws up people's thinking, and it does. And uh, and so that is why, uh, you know, there were some Pan-Africanists, such as Malcolm X and Krumah, Ture, and others, that that devoted so much attention to creating uh, uh, a revolutionary ideology to counter uh, uh, the moves by an enemy. And it's going to take that because uh, even the information is key. But also the way we in which we analyze that information, this perspective from which we use to look at this information. Mm-hmm. Anyone else find a feedback on this perspective before you move forward? Okay, what we're going to do right now. We're going to take another station break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion, and we also hope to have um, some, some guests who will be coming forward and sharing with our community some outstanding um, freedom fighters who have made a transition and made that contribution. That's coming up in our second program, but right now we're going to pause for this call. When we be back, when we come back, we're going to look at this article called Late Video, Dutch historian Rutgers Berg- Bergman demolished Tucker Kotzer. And one of the things that we're raising in this article I think is really important is this question of let's talk about income inequality and this whole question of let's tax the rich if it's truly going to solve some of our problems. So think about that when we come back. You're welcome to call in at 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Moon. No mind your national 
Okay, we got Brother Tom. Also, we'll be bringing in Brother Lewis Wolf. Also, Brother Lou, can you also hit number one so I make sure that we have the correct number when you come in? Brother Lou, bring you in. Okay, I think we have both of them right now. So right now, what we're going to do, we're going to say welcome to our guests, Brother Tom and Brother Lou. They are community organizers in our community, and they've been working with some special people, and we're going to talk a little bit about who are these special people that just made a transition. We have with us that, um, we have with us uh, Brother William Bloom and Brother Steve Burke. They are special folks because they decided to use their energy and their talents to make world, the world a better place and a more just place. Anytime we lose freedom fighters, our people should know who they are, and we should be giving give, give them their proper perspectives. So right now, we'd like to do a little small tribute to Brother Burt and to Brother um, Bloom. So right now, Brother Tom, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Tom Whitney. Uh, thank you very much, Lee. Thank you very much for ha- having me on the show. Okay, and let me bring in Brother Lou. Brother Lou, welcome to Africa. Yes, brother. Thank you very much, and and really, uh, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to speak about uh, two great men. Thank you. Okay, we can start with you, Brother Tom. For our listening audience, for the people who are listening to this program around the world, you know, many times our freedom fighters are never given the proper credit in terms of their contribution to their people's struggles and humanity. And one of the things we want to do on that show is make sure we write the people history, who was our real representatives, who was our real freedom fighters, who were those who made sacrifices to make this world a better place. Can you just give us a brief introduction of who you are and talk a little bit about Brother Burt, his work and his contribution to humanity and the work that he was doing? Well, um, my name is Tom Whitney, and... I live in the state of Maine, and I'm a member of a group of the Let Cuba Live, uh, which is a solidarity group, which since 1992 is active here in the state of Maine. And uh, Steve Burke was one of the founding members of that group, and he, in my opinion, amply deserves the uh, praise that you have uh, um, mentioned that he that he that he, having having his passing observed or taken notice of. So uh, the group was formed in 1992, and Steve was a leader in that group up until fairly recently, and he's a friend of mine. Um, because of that involvement. And Steve was kind of a rebel uh, all of his life. He didn't adjust to things like the Army, for example, or this or that. But he found a home here in Maine and became widely respected as a political activist on all sorts of issues. As regards Cuba, He uh, 
was a leader in our involvement with the Pastors for Peace group. And Steve was the person who could think of ideas on what to do. That's one thing. And he was the initiator and kind of main organizer of way back in 2000, 2001. We did challenge. uh, We took uh, challenge events with our comrades in Quebec of taking humanitarian aid that would go to Cuba, but it would go by way of Quebec, the same way Passes for Peace does. And we had encounters with the border officials at the main uh, Quebec border and also at the Vermont-Quebec uh, border. And this was kind of the high point of our group. We got a lot of publicity. We recruited a lot of members. And Steve was was the main organizer of that. And he organized, not, not only he did a lot of the work, but he did it with uh, with cheer and, uh, and optimism. And he in, enjoyed it very much. He went with the Passes for Peace, I think, on three or four of of the delegations, and he was on the first two. And he he was at the in uh, the uh, Texas Mexico border at uh, in in that first year where uh, Reverend Walker engaged in a fast for 23 days. Well, Steve was there and was one of the first people. When when the humanitarian aid was finally freed, he um, took it to Cuba and kind of led the group. So Steve um, will be missed. And uh, in addition, in my own mind, uh, the fact that he is has passed uh, kind of testifies to this uh, to the passage of time. It's been a long time as our group, 1992. But then you think, well, the Cuban Revolution has been going for so long, and the blockade still exists. And under the present U.S. government, uh, the oppression is bound to get worse, is getting worse. So uh, you can, uh, the main thing, I main message I would have is that old one, uh, whether it was the Woody Guthrie song or what, I forget, but don't mourn, uh, organize. So those are my remarks on on the passing of our friend of up here in Maine, Steve Burke. Thank you. Yeah, brother, brother Simon, thank you. Sort of um, uh, went down the road. I was going to try to ask you to go there, and that was the road of, in terms of um, brother Burke legacy. How can we best um, uh, carry out his legacy? What would you say to the people? I think you sort of answered, but I'll ask you again. When you talk about his legacy, how can we best reserve his legacy? Uh, His legacy, as far as we're concerned here, is he developed a visibility here in Maine 
Maine is is a well, it's a big state geographically, but there aren't too many people here, relatively speaking. And Steve became known. He's kind of known throughout the state, and he had many many friends, and he was probably the leading factor that people here in Maine uh, know about. Cuba, and and they know about a bunch of other issues, but I'm focusing mainly on Cuba. It's the main factor that we have had over the years a lot of support, and people in Maine uh, know about Cuba and its contributions, and they go to Cuba and so forth. So I would think that that would be Steve's main thing that he did, but but and he was okay. a very nice guy, you know. And we also know the organization, and they have a newsletter and a website, Let Cuba Live. How can people get information or get access to the newsletter and the website? Let, well, let uh, we we did used to publish a print newsletter for many years, and we haven't recently. And I have to confess that our our numbers are down. I don't. I'm, I'm very kind of discouraged. But we do have a website that we keep going, and uh, that's just letcubalive.org. It's all all one word: letcubalive.org. And yeah, so. And it's an excellent website if you want to keep up abreast on what's going on in Cuba. So to our listening audience. Um, please put that down. Make note of that and put that in your um, in your files when you want to, you know, find out what's going on yeah. here. But that's an excellent website to visit. Tom, you can tell you to hold on. We have some panelists who may have a few questions to ask you. But before we do that, we'll go to Lou. Louis Wolf. We'd like to again welcome you back, Brother Wolf. And for this Freedom Fighter, we want you to talk a little bit about first introduce yourself in terms of who you are. And talk a little bit about the legacy of William Bloom. Bill Bloom was a man. Uh, there are there are few people in your lifetime that you meet somebody that you know was so important to know to have known, and this is one of them. Um, I knew him for about forty years. He helped us to found a magazine, which we published from 1978 until 2005, um, and called Covert Action Quarterly, and we had to uh, stop the publication then. My wife was dying, and then I, I lost a leg, but we started it up again. And last year, I give a little bit of credit for that to the man in the White House. I, I won't name him by name, but you know who I mean. We call him 46 minus 1, um, and every time he speaks uh, out of his his, his uh, hole in his, in his head, in the front of his head, um, it's garbage. It comes out. But uh, I just want to say that Bill Bloom left us with so much. He wrote five books on the crimes of the CIA, of the Central Intelligence Agency, and the rest of the U.S. intelligence apparatus. But he focused most uh, particularly on the CIA. And uh, his books discussed and documented in extraordinary detail the the destructive methods of the CIA uh, across the globe, um, and how many countries we bombed, how many 
how many uh, uh, countries we we invaded, how many countries we fixed their elections or, or broke their systems down. Um, we bought the we bought the journalists uh, to write for us, to for us meaning the U.S. government, not us, the magazine, and and you know he he did it in great detail. He documented every bit of what he wrote, and uh, that was so made him set him apart from a, a lot of mainstream journalists because they don't do that. In fact, the art of investigative journalism is pretty much. Uh, history now. Uh, there are a few, uh, you can count them on the fingers of, of two or three hands that, that are still doing investigative journalism, but that's that's it. And um, But Bill uh, had a, also, in addition to the five books, one of one of which was called Rogue State. That, that is, the rogue state was the United States. And he documented in that book, as well as the other four books, uh, the, the activities of, of the U.S. government um, in, in very uh, horrible ways, the human costs of, the, of their operations. But in addition, Bill had a blog, an international blog. It was called the Anti-Empire Report. In fact, your listeners can go straight on onto their computer and look it up. He started in 1993, straight up until September last year. So, uh, and that anti-empire report just was so chock full of hard information um you know very detailed information but every time that bill wrote whether it was in his blog or in his books he he used humor not as if he were a comedian not the, uh, quite the opposite but he used humor in a way to underline the the criminal nature of what the us has done around the world so if we have time here, I'll read a few of those those humorous things he said. Is that okay with, with you? Uh, yes, we have time. Yes, okay. Yes, a terrorist okay. Is, is someone who has a bomb but doesn't have an Air Force. Many Americans, whether consciously or unconsciously, actually pride themselves on their ignorance. It reflects their break with the overly complicated intellectual tradition of what is called Old Europe. Another quote, America's state religion is patriotism, a phenomenon which has convinced many of the citizenry, citizenry that treason is morally worse than, than murder or rape. The United States is actually against terrorism per se, but only those terrorists who are not allies of the empire. No matter how paranoid or conspiracy-minded you are, what the government is actually doing is worse than you imagine. And a couple more both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama loved the idea of the empire. Each of them looks forward to being the new emperor. And last, one, when, a liber, when a liberal sees a beggar, he says the system isn't working. When a Marxist sees a, bigger, a beggar, he says the system is working. So you get the message. This man really cut through the garbage and, 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 and communicated to to all who read it, his work and heard him speak, um, I still remember his last public speech was at the Left Forum in New York, which uh, we sponsored him coming there. And uh, he was 84, uh, but still strong. And he said, uh, and you can find it on our website if you want to see it live. Um, he said, 
so many of you here in the room have friends who who believe in in some of the some of the mainstream uh, message of, of so-called democracy he said but um what do they really think do they really understand he said they they said that the united states means well that we mean well in the world in the world we are about bringing good to people we mean well and the whole the whole room there were several hundred people in the room just broke up in laughter because that was how he communicated and and just uh, made it very clear that when we mean well we the united states means well we destroy the countries and we kill many many people okay well, Tom and Lou, what we're going to do for a few minutes is to give our panelists a chance to maybe make a comment or ask you a question as it relates to these two great men. We'll start off with you, Brother Haki. Your question or comment, please. Yeah, let me let me ask Brother Tom. Uh, in, in terms of domestically, uh, we understand that Brother did a lot of work around Cuba, but what did he do domestically or nationally in the United States in terms of political work? Uh, he did oh, a couple of things. Uh, the anti-war demonstrations in Washington or New York. He was an, an organizer. So to rent a bus that would go to, from Portland, Maine, or Augusta, Maine, down to New York or Washington... You know, for the various, you know, the anti-Iraq war demonstrations, and um, Steve was the man who would rent the buses, collect the money for the buses, have people at the right place. He did that um, probably four or five times. Oh, and another thing, he lives on, lived on his house was on Route One south of Rockland, Maine, and there were some old elm trees that the state wanted to take down. And these were nice old trees, and there weren't, there were, there are, there are no more of those big trees, particularly elm trees. These may not have been all elm trees, but big hardwood trees. That add, well, Steve mobilized his neighbors to, for several months, to protest, uh, such that, oh, there was, there was a, a woman who got herself up on a platform in one of those trees and wouldn't leave for a, a week or two. And that, that, that got news, that was news all over the state. Uh, so let's see, those, those are a couple of things. So, you know, if you Steve, he was an or, an organizer. Yeah. Okay, Brother Anthony, your a question or comment, please, if you have one. Certainly. Um, and uh, let's suggest, uh, you know, uh, could you um, let uh, what uh, what activities, in addition to um, uh, the newsletter. And uh, the tri- trips to Cuba, d- does Let Cuba Live uh, do currently in order, well, in order to sustain interest in, uh, in what's going on in Cuba 
and um, you know, anti-imperialist activity in general. We used to do a lot, and I have to admit that we're smaller and we're not not doing as much. And we we did, I think, somehow we were we we had lots of young people uh, with us on trips to Cuba. We we sent. Uh, three or four delegations of our own to Cuba, doctors group, uh, organic farmers group, uh, uh, teachers group, and we got we got people, and we participated in all of the passes for peace friends shipment. All of them sent people. There were a couple of uh, two years in a row that we sent fifteen people from Maine in each each one. Uh, and we would be at the local fairs with a stand, an educational I- exhibit, and so forth. Now, unfortunately, our people have died. Uh, a couple of them are not as active, and we we for, for, we failed in recruiting young people. So, really, right now, all we're doing is keeping up the website and we we do support passes for peace and we're we're going to have an event in Brunswick Maine on June 18 and uh um that's basically it mm-hmm. okay panelists, keep in mind we do have brother Lou and brother William Blue we um if you would like to also, address some intentions towards Brother Lou. He is available. So let's go with Brother okay. Jabari. Comment question, Brother Jabari. I can be loved, Brother Jabari. Brother Moses, any comments or questions you'd like to raise, ask? Yes, I believe uh, Brother Bloom uh, stopped by the office when I was with Alliance for Global Justice and uh, he was there for a complete. Uh, set of books of uh that covert covert activity or uh magazine the magazine I'm I can't remember the name of uh but uh, Action quarterly and, yes yes and uh yes. yeah he had a set of them and uh he left it there uh he was a he was a courageous man uh uh and that was you know that obviously was a, a contribution to this to the ideological and, and political struggle, uh, uh, and he will be missed. Uh, I couldn't say that for sure. Thank you. you know, Thank Brother, you very, very much. Brother Lou, what drove Brother Bloom to take the position that he took in terms of taking on the establishment, in terms of taking on the intelligence industrial complex, et cetera? Because most people have a tendency to run for those kinds of institutions that weigh that kind of power. What was the de- determining factors that led him to be to do what he does? Well, he was at one point uh, working for the State Department. He was, a, as he was very clear to say, he, was, he believed in the Cold War, he believed in anti-communism, and he joined the State Department as a computer programmer, not, not a high level, and he had a security clearance, but he said the Vietnam War started um, just completing, impacting his, his conscience, 
his mind and uh, his soul, as he said. And so he he started separating himself from, from the State Department. In fact, he would leave work at four or five in the afternoon and go straight down to the White House and and, and participate in demonstrations. And some of his coworkers um, happened to see him there and started questioning him and, and throwing uh, um, you know, unkind comments in, in his direction. Uh, and so he took it, you know, no water off his back, and uh, finally he just said, I'm out of here, and quit. The, they didn't have to fire him. He he left, um, gave up his clearance and gave up his his pension and everything. And for most of the rest of his life, for all the rest of his life, he was not, you know, um, paying his bills uh, a lot of the time. And so a lot of us had to p- help him pick up the slack. But what what led him to do it was not just the Vietnam War, but he well, the more research he did on the interventions that the U.S. has done and is still continuing to do as we speak tonight, um, for example, in Venezuela, uh, you know, he realized that he it was it was on him to you know pick up the ball and and research and document, and that's what he did with five books and his blog. Um, you know, to to know the man was to know you were you were in, in the presence of greatness. Okay, to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. We are doing a tribute to two two great freedom fighters, uh, Steve Burke and William Bloom. Um, we are doing a little brief tribute to them because they are worthy of it. If you are listening to the program, you have any comments you'd like to make as it relates to these two individuals, feel free to hit one, and we will acknowledge the last four numbers. Um, Tom and Dan Lou, give us your final thoughts on Brother Burt and Brother Bloom. We'll start with you, Brother Tom. And Brother Tom, can you mention to our listen audience how can we support the work that y'all are doing now in Maine? I'm sorry, I, I was on mute. Uh, yeah, give me a final uh, thought, and how can we support the work that John President doing in May in terms of supporting Let's Keep uh, Leo? Yeah, um, final thoughts are that is the the work that's undone. The, the end, you know, the future. We're seeing what's happened in Venezuela now. And uh, and Cuba is basically under siege, and uh, I have to admit to some discouragement. We have to we have to keep going, but uh, uh, just Steve's passing just remi- just kind of brings to the fore, reminds me of of how much time has passed, and. Um, so, in other words, there's there's lots of work to be done. Uh, and how you can help us? Oh, uh, one thing is contribute to our website. Send in articles. Send in thoughts. Unfortunately, you know, we 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 kind of look for articles, and I write some, and so forth. But we need help there. And then the other thing is. Anybody who wants to come to Maine, 
come on up and we will make use of you and we'll have some meetings and whatnot. Uh, I, I would add about Bill Bloom at a demonstration for the Cuban Five in front of the White House. I had the honor of briefly meeting him. He came up and introduced himself. We had a little discussion that was, I don't know, just a year or two before they were freed. Good. And is there an email you. or a phone number where they can contact contact Les Cubalia for those who may want to support you and help you? Yeah, the email is on the website or my email or my or phone call. Just just call me, which is area code two zero seven seven four three two one eight three. Okay, and brother Lou. Finding to us on um, Brother Bloom and how can they contact you and find out more information on how can they get copies of Cobra Action because we agree that's one of the best magazines and television magazines that is that is out there historically past as well as present. Brother Lee, uh, it happens that we are having a memorial service here in Washington. Uh, a week from t- today, actually, on, on St. Patrick's Day. And if any of your listeners uh, want to, they'll be welcome there. Uh, it's at, uh, I'll give you the address at the Ethical Culture Society. The address is 7750 16th Street, Northwest, corner of Calmia. I'll spell it K-A-L-M-I-A Street, uh, from 4 until 7 p.m. And uh, we will have speakers there. We will have uh, uh, um, filmed uh, eulogy, one from Oliver Stone, who knew Bill very closely, the great film director, the director of the film JFK, which really changed American public opinion uh, about what happened uh, to Kennedy, that it wasn't the Lee Harvey Oswald doing it all by himself. and uh, we will have their copies of uh, books will be available, of uh, Bill's books uh, will be available there. And uh, other people, will, his son has come here from Germany, just arrived today. Uh, he'll be speaking, as will his, Bill's wife, who is unable to travel. Uh, she can't, the doctors won't let her fly, but she sent a, 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 a eulogy by, by video. Also, uh, Ray McGovern, the extraordinary former CIA officer who briefed um, 27, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, six different presidents over 27 years uh, for the CIA. Well, he quit when the U.S. invaded uh, uh, Iraq and uh, has become a foremost critic uh, of of the CIA. Uh, He has also done a, a video for us. Uh, as to how to get the magazine, we we have relaunched the magazine now. So I, I'll tell you two things. One, you can your listeners can go straight to our website. It's easy to find, covertactionmagazine.com. All one word, covertactionmagazine.com. There you will find uh, almost every day we're posting new investigative articles. There, uh, most recently, of course, about about Venezuela. Uh, as well as uh, many other topics uh, around around the globe, and even some domestic articles as well. Um, and for those who want uh, the magazines, we still are offering full sets of the magazines, which you can find 
on our website how to do that. They're they're available uh, at a much reduced price. We wish we could give them away, but we can't do that. But um, and Bill Bloom wrote for I think seven or eight major articles for us uh, over the years, and they're they're all listed on uh, our magazine on our website, so you can find out there what where they are. Lastly, I'll and just say that. Can we contact uh, you? How? Uh, contact me. My email is l o u w, the digit seven. So l o u w seven at live dot com, uh, or our website, as I said, covertactionmagazine.com. dot com. Okay, Tom and Lou, stay open. One second, we have a caller that's been waiting for a while. I think this caller may have something to say to both of you. Caller, we will bring you in. Thank you for your patience. Nine four three five. Call us nine four three five. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Your question or comments? Yeah, thank you so much, Brother Africa, and thanks to Brother Lou and Brother Tom, who has been strugglers for years. We owe both of them debts of gratitude. The work that they have done in terms of the struggle for removing the blockade and the current reality of the U.S. trying for regime change in Cuba is fantastic. And I just wanted to thank both of them who were both very modest and didn't really say too much about themselves and their participation, their role, and what they have done. Um, I want to thank them personally for what they have done. And uh, I'd like to say that today, more than ever, it shows that the only way that things will change in terms of Cuba is if we are able to organize the mass of the people to bring that change. Of course, we hope that through legislation and government, it could happen, but we see this unprecedented rollback on the behalf of the current idiot in the White House, uh, I think that we should take it up on ourselves to ensure that countries who want to be free can be. Countries who want to work for the masses of their people can do that unhindered by the United States government and any attempt at regime change, including those countries like Cuba, Venezuela, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and the list goes on. So again, thank you, Brother Lou, and thank you, Brother Tom. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Brother Lou, Brother Tom, your final words. And final thoughts. Yeah, one minute apiece. Salve you, Brother Tom. Final words are to thank, I didn't get uh, the last speaker's name, but to thank him for uh, setting out the work that needs to be done. And uh, we're still with the program up up here, and we we will miss Steve, but we'll, things will Go on. Thank you. And Brother Lou? 
You know, the the, the, the words of uh, Maurice Bishop in, in Grenada apply here. He's, he always said, forward ever, backward never. Unfortunately, he paid the ultimate price. Uh, he was stripped naked, and he, he and his 17 um, uh, members of his government were stripped naked and, and mowed down uh, um, by, by weapons fire. But the message is that the Grenadian Revolution uh, stands tall in, in history as one of the great revolutions. Um, my message would be that uh, you just cannot allow yourself to be paranoid in this age of horrible um, things going on all around us. What we have to do is dedicate ourselves to change the world, not to let it be as it is. Thank you. On that note, Brother Tom, Brother Lou, we'd like to thank you for coming on the program this evening and sharing your thoughts and memory of two great freedom fighters, Brother Steve Burke and William Bloom. Um, their work will be missed, but we know they'll live forever because they will live through the lives and activities of people who decided to continue their legacy. So, again, we thank you for your contribution tonight. For our listening audience, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for this call. So when we come back, we're going to have an open discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. Again, if you have any questions, comments, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841 and hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. You got to listen to Africa on the Move, and the night theme is... Still and wealth is our gain, or we can say their gain if we want correctly. So we'll be right back. You listen to Brother Africa. We don't want no peace. We want equal rights. Just I need 
contributions that our um, uh, uh, sister ancestors have made to our struggles, such as Harriet Tubman, Ella Baker, uh, uh, Amy Jacques Garvey, Amy Ashwood Garvey, and uh, many others. Uh, And, um, you know, uh, it is very difficult because of the oppression that our women face for them to participate actively, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, in our uh, struggle, but historically they have done so, in spite of overwhelming odds. And I think we should, uh, you know, acknowledge uh, their contribution. Thank you, brother Anthony. Now we move forward with brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, you know what I find extraordinary, you know, this whole question in terms of class. You know, we, you know, Barack Obama was elected um, president of the United States. 
Well, unfortunately, in being being you know elected president of the United States, uh, he participated in those certain kinds of things, certain activities, which were not good for the aspirations of African and or, or, or working class people in society. You know, there was this 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 um, a policy called the Domestic Investigation and Operations Guideline, which essentially targeted journalists in terms of who had relationship to government officials who provided information that was questionably of an intelligence nature. And I say questionably. Uh, but the mere fact that he did it more often than any of his predecessors speaks violence in terms of his commitment uh, to the system, but more importantly, you know, his commitment to the disadvantage of his people. So I'm very concerned about the time that this, this, this whole implication of classism and how it uh, adversely impacts on African people. Now, when we talk about in terms of spying on journalists, one of the things also interesting is the fact that, you know, that, you know, down in the southern border between the U.S. and Mexico, uh, you got some journalists actually reporting where things really are. But those journalists find themselves on part of a on a computer list. In other words, when they try to do their jobs down there, they're actually prevented from doing it because they're they're prevented from going to certain areas to uh, do the do the investigation. So clearly, this impetus in terms of uh, denying people access to information is one of the cornerstones. You know of uh, of fascism, and certainly Barack Obama played a big part in terms of facilitating this fascism. So I just want to point that out. So I find it all very extraordinary. All right, thank you, Brother Haki. We now go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Yes, well, there's a national march on Washington plans for uh, hands off Venezuela, no coup, no sanctions, no new U.S. war, and this. Um, will take place March 16th, 12 p.m. at the White House. Uh, it's being sponsored primarily by the Answer Coalition Act now to stop warning racism. And uh, it should be uh, a progressive demonstration. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And let's see if that caller 9435 has any comments on me. What's going on in his world community, caller? Welcome back, 945 to Africa to Move. What's going on in your community? Uh, thank you, brother. I didn't have any major comments. However, I think it's important that your listeners look at what's happening in Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua and keep an eye, a sharp eye open on this ongoing regime change plot by the U.S. government, the CIA, NED, and a host of similar organizations. Okay. Point well made. What we're going to do right now, panelists, we only have a few minutes left, and we would like each one of y'all to give y'all final thoughts on today's program. That theme was still wealth is our game, and essence is their game. And we look at some of the methods and ways of behavior that the West, led by U.S., how they are using this tool of theft to continue to maintain staying power. So just give me your final summation for tonight. We start out with you, Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. I think um it's been an interesting show. Um, I hope that um, people are, are being informed about things that are pertinent to the struggle in the U.S. and around the world. And um, 
I just look forward to uh, continuing the struggle. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Now we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. Sure. My final thought for tonight is that in order in order to uh to to stop our enemies from stealing the wealth of the people uh that is the result of the fruit of our collective labor we must organize and we must organize uh uh join a political party that's working for our people's liberation and that is guided by revolutionary ideology and uh if people want to find out more about uh, the a the All African People's Revolutionary Party's position on Venezuela. They can visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, brother Anthony. Brother Haki, give us your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, first let me just a couple of things. First, let me mention African Women's Association. We're doing a travel. Uh, travel the road, liberation and freedom to Cuba. We'll be going to Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. And this trip will take place July 24th to July 31st, 2019. Uh, for more information, you can give us a call at 202-714-9435. You can also email us at African Awareness Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, VA. And we encourage people to go to Cuba to see for themselves firsthand, you know, the that model that we call Cuba. Um, now, secondly, you know, one, in terms of you know, my closing remarks, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that people have to do is they have to implicitly understand their own self-worth. Uh, I think that's a lot, big part of it. Uh, don't allow any system uh, to treat you less than a human being. I think at the point that we, we evolved to the point that uh, we, 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 we have such love for ourselves, I think that we'll be uh, less uh, uh, reluctant. Uh, not to stand up against uh, those forces that tend to uh, trivialize our existence. So we have to implicitly understand our worth as human beings. Until, until we do that, um, you know, uh, they will continue to win. It's that simple. And having said that, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. And, uh, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki. Thank you, panelists. Thank all our participants, Brother Tom, Brother Lou, and our listening audience. And we'd like to thank you for your support. If you have if you have any views or any comments and you'd like to direct towards Africa on the Move or if you'd like to be a guest on Africa on the Move, please email us at Africa on the Move Two at Gmail dot com. Like always we try to give you information so you can thank and we try to introduce you to organization so you can become a active participant towards alleviating the suffering of your people and humanity. We say the greatest tool that all oppressed people has is the tool of organization. So we'd like to encourage you to join an organization that is working to help liberate your people and humanity. This is the best gift gift that you can give to your people. So until next time, we'll see you next week, same place, same time. Like always, we will not compromise our principle. We will speak truth to power, and we hope that we can encourage you and inspire you to do the same. Until next time, we will leave you with the song as a tribute in memory of the struggling mighty people of Palestine. We'll see you next week.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine. Palestine, needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs there seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Freedom, Palestine, Palestine needs our. That's, a, That's his real name, say. Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay, one nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Glenn Beck is a racist. 
got the strip was getting bomb, Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America could stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame? When they dropped the bombs out of them planes, using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal, and nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck who's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man, neo-colonial puppet. White power with a black face. He said, "Fuck it, I'll do it." A master of the sky, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should've known he was trained in Chicago. Where the chairman Fred and Mark talk when they do in the dark. Woke him out in the light, like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess Nkrumah was right. Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism. I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living. Sasha and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you, predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking?
African Women and the Works of African Women Association. Please send our donation donations to African Women Association Inc. P.O. Box four four three three Richmond, Virginia two three two two zero. We thank you.